You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. A weird, I don't know, I don't know if we got hit by lightning or what, but it took out a speaker and a couple of little top speakers and then our deal that sends it to the front there, but somehow we managed to uh, sing without it. It's amazing. It's almost miraculous. It's incredible. First Peter, we're still in First Peter there, and we conclude we're going to be around chapter 4. And last week, we concluded kind of figuring out whether that was by resisting or resenting sufferings or even trying to handle them on our own, um, that that could, that could slow our spiritual growth. And I know it's not, it's not the very most funnerous to talk about suffering, but so much of Peter and then so much of 2 Corinthians, a little of 1 Corinthians, talks about suffering. And it's one of those things that needs to be dealt with before suffering comes. It would be better to deal with it then than to wait till you're in the midst of it and have no tools to defend yourself against it. And we, the Messiah, it says, he, we, we saw there in that last, last week where it concluded to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. It, right before that in verse 10, 5 verse 10, it said, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And we saw that word settled meant restored. So the Messiah is doing the perfecting, the establishing, the strengthening, and the restoring. But there has to be a faith and trust in him that, we, that he will do what he says he will do. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. If he began a work, then he has the ability, the power, the authority, the sovereignty, all those things. He has that to complete the work that he began. And so part of it involves our trust in him that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And the other part is our faith in the fact that we have very little ability whatsoever even to remain faithful. We, we put our faith in him and we ask him to do the leading and the guiding and the directing and the, and the sanctifying and all those things. We, we have to put it on him. We're very fragile and we're very, we're very weak in that. And so ultimately, as we see him perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and so on, that's why we are able to give him the glory and the uh, dominion forever and ever. And so in starting that, I wanted to return to that idea of suffering and really kind of focusing on that word in 1 Peter, but mostly we'll be in 2 Corinthians if you want to go there. 2 Corinthians 1 is where we'll read our, our longest scripture this morning. <laughs> but in the idea of suffering in the believer we, we really, we don't like to suffer too much. That's why we live in America. If we like suffering, I guess we live in Africa or something. We like air conditioning and fast food and all those things. Fast cars that start with air conditioning. I used to be really into hot rods, muscle cars and stuff like that. But then I got a truck that every time I get in it, it starts. It's amazing. And 99% of the time, the air conditioning works. And the windows roll up and down. You get in those old cars and there's no telling what you get. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And the more you work on it, the less it seems to run. It's incredible how that works. I'm just, I guess I'm just like everyone else. I'm, I like it soft. <laughs> I'm soft and lazy. And so in most suffering, in general, we just think about ourselves rather than, than the, the purpose of the suffering. It says that the purpose of the suffering, it brings glory to God. Right. And we think of suffering as woe is me or how could this happen to me or why am I sick? Am I, I must be the only one in the world who is suffering. No one's ever, I've heard people say that. No one has ever suffered like I have. And I can tell you that's not true. We can go by Paul's list and see what Paul's list of suffering is. It's way worse than anything you ever dealt with. 
We can look at Jesus' suffering on the cross and see that it's way worse. So, of course, when we're in those bad spots, well, it seems like everybody else, when we're in our worst spot and we're laying on the floor in a little puddle there crying, we look at everyone else. That's why, in my opinion, Facebook is the devil. Like, in a lot of ways, it's the devil. But one thing is, is people put this snapshot of their life, a two-second, 30-second thing of their life, they put it on there like their life is all together and so happy and glorious. And here you are suffering. You see this person over here, and they're going on vacations, and then they're on their ski boat, and they're doing whatever it is, and all their kids love them. And um, all their kids do exactly what they're supposed to do all the time. And then they have the world's best worship in their church, and nothing ever bad happens, and everybody's raised from the dead that's around them. And your life is just pitiful and sorry, and you're like, why am I such a loser? Why? What the heck? You know, what's going on? Why am I so low? And then we, we begin to ask ourselves, and we look at them, and we measure their Christianity and say, well, why do the wicked prosper? He must be wicked because he is prospering, and I'm not prospering right now. I'm laying here in a pile. So it, it's just we're, we need to look at that and kind of measure and see what God's Word says about suffering. Measure ourselves against God's Word and not against uh, your girlfriend or friends or people that you communicate with on Facebook. I'm telling you, Facebook is, is one of the biggest lies, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. Those are lies. It's just full of lies. There's liars putting stuff on there. They're liars, and they're full of lies. And it's, a, and it's a terrible trick of the evil one to leave you discouraged in this life. And people buy into it for whatever reason, and they, they're just, we're just weak that way. We want somebody to click on our thing and tell us how great we are, but it's just a lie. But anyway, look at 2 Corinthians, and we'll start one. Uh, we'll start at verse 2 and read through 11 for starters. Maybe we can find these biblical answers that we need to deal with suffering. That's, that's what we're going for here, okay? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, be above strength, so that we were despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. That's past, present, and future deliverance. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Verse 9, it says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You ever thought about part of your purpose here on earth? We think about the birth part. We, we celebrate that part. And in the existence of life part. But part of our existence on earth is the death part. You're walking around right now every day, whether you like it or not, with a death sentence hanging over your head. Some death sentences are more obvious than others. When Peter, Paul, and associates are out presenting the gospel all the time in a hostile environment that both hated Jews 
and hated Christians because it conflicted with the Corinthian way, conflicted with the Roman way, conflicted with the worldly way, and it conflicted with the spiritual way or the, the religious way of the Pharisees. And so they're actively being pursued, kind of like David in the wilderness by Saul. They're actually being pursued like with the thing up, have you seen this man? You know, And if you see him, turn him in. And then every time they get turned in, they get beaten and, and put in jail and so on. But we, we talk about this death sentence hanging over us, and we see it as a negative. But for the believer, it's very much a positive. But there are things that we're going to have to endure before we get to the actual hanging. We're going we're gonna to be done for. It's appointed once for man to die. Each man's going to die. But then the judgment. But it says we'll see later. But part of that judgment comes to us. It'll be here on earth. We'll, we'll already be tested and tried and, and those things as believers. We don't have to worry about this coming judgment. We just have to exist in this life, survive this part until we die. And it's just from the birth and the existence and the death. It's all a part of life. It's all a part of life of any person, but particularly for the believer. So as a part of that, and, and eternal life technically beginning at salvation, we can hold on a little more lightly to this life, knowing the life to come is so much better. And I like how Paul identifies himself with these people, with you, because we're still reading the book. We're still reading the same letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. And he identifies himself with the sufferings that they're going through, with his sufferings, and in Christ's sufferings. So we got Christ, Paul, and then the people, and then us. And I won't say that we've suffered all that harshly here in the States yet, but it, it seems to be coming. It says 1.5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Our comfort, our, our rest, sitting on his lap, comes from him to us. Now, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation. I hope that you're witnessing well how they're, they're beating the fire out of me, this is for you. I'm taking that for you. So that when that happens to you and the people observe you in that, then they can take rest and comfort in that, that you did that for them. And then generationally, generationally, and eventually it gets to us. The suffering of different people over the ages that have come all the way to today to whoever brought you the gospel, to however you heard it. It's really... A fantastic thing. The thing where we failed probably the most in the, in the Western church is we've no longer taken the banner forward of evangelism to the next generation. They'll figure it out themselves. Well, likely they won't. But somehow the gospel still spreads, though it's not spreading in America like it used to. It's spreading in China, spreading in Iran, Iraq, and Syria, and places like that. And you wouldn't think that would be possible under persecutions. And that's, uh, that's part of the suffering. So if we look at the sufferings of Christ, how much greater they are than man ever really endures. Some of these guys took a whipping. Paul took a bad beating. Peter took a bad beating, constantly being arrested and harassed and on the run and so on. Um, but, but if we looked at that, and we looked at it in Psalm, I wanted to show it there in Psalm 69, and I read it, we read it this morning. But if we saw the sufferings of Messiah, it says, my reproach, verse 19, my shame, my dishonor, adversaries all around, reproach has broken my heart, I'm full of heaviness, no one to take pity on me, no comforters, they gave me poison for food and, and for drink, they gave me vinegar, and earlier it said, shame has covered my face, I'm a stranger to my brothers, I'm, un, I'm unrecognized as a brother in my own family, 
Well, those were terrible sufferings. We, we tend to think people, uh, people in our age and our generation, we have suffered so little. I don't know. There's nobody here that was alive during the Depression, I wouldn't say, born in 30, say 29 to, anybody 29 to 35, somewhere in there? Nobody, right? So we didn't endure the suffering of, of hunger necessarily. We pretty much had meals whenever we desired them, for the most part in here. Um, we've pretty much had heat, air conditioning, you know, roofs, um, insulation, beds, for the most part. I know there's some, not everybody's had the very best of those things, but for the most part, as far as physically suffering, outside guys that are maybe in the service or something, we've, we've not really suffered that much. We haven't suffered persecution as a whole, as a people in the United States, for a long time. And, uh, and it seems like it's coming. It would be better to prepare now for it than wait till it comes and then try to figure out how to deal with it. But in, in the, when we look at the list of what Messiah went through in suffering, and then as we go to, to what happens to um, Paul, uh, especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where it talks about his stripes and beatings and all these different things that happen to him, stonings and so on, mockings. You look at this long list, I'm like, well, that's not really, has anybody here been hit with a rock because of the gospel? Has anyone here been hit with a stick because of the gospel? Has anyone here been you know, kicked out of a business because of the gospel or kicked out of their home because of the gospel? Not really. You have? Kicked out of a business. Yeah. Do what? Yeah, give it time. No, it's coming. But uh, yeah, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Um, well, I was kicked out of Chick-fil-A, but it was, it was my own fault. No, I wasn't kicked out. I left on my own recognizance. Well, I should have been kicked out. But anyway, Paul identifies himself with the sufferings of Christ, and then he identifies with the sufferings of his people, his, his, his sheeple, and then, like I said, it passes on to us. And so a lot of the things in general, we're, we're not really willing to identify ourselves with the sufferings of Christ, though we should, because in that it, it helps us gain some identity with him. It helps us to understand what it means to walk in his shoes, right? If we could be afflicted or, or, or uh, mocked or scoffed. I have been teased for presenting the gospel to people, and I remember a guy in the military uh, that was a big, if you're going to be an evangelist, let me tell you, you're going to have to have tough skin. If you're going to present the gospel openly, you better not have a, a major glaring weakness of character. If you're going to proclaim the name of Christ, like I told you, that's why I don't put the fish on my car because I'm a bad driver. If you're a, if you're a good driver and you can avoid hitting other people and swerving into their lanes, which I cannot seem to do, then go ahead, put the fish on your car. But you're representing the name of Christ, this, this kid that was always uh, trying to evangelize people. He was, he was not in good shape. He couldn't keep up. He was a bad shot, which is all, you know, he was a terrible swimmer. Like he couldn't do any of the physical, I don't know how he made it through boot camp, I really don't. But, and so that kind of tarnished his witness and that his, his weaknesses in these other things that men saw as masculine in a group of all masculine men, they saw this as masculine, not being able to accomplish those things tarnished his witness, rightly or wrongly, okay? And, um, and he couldn't take a lick in either. When they, they roughed him up for that and he just falls in a little puddle and eventually becomes silent. Like, if you really wanted to be an evangelist, you're going to have to take those things. You're going to have to take some shaming and mocking and things like that. If you can't, um, maybe you should work on different spiritual gifts, like serving or administration. 
because that's <laughs> we should all be evangelists to a point. But what I'm saying is, you need to have your act. You need to have your character. I was going to say your act. You need to have your character together. If your character is tarnished, then you need to pray, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get that character straightened out. Then be active in your in your evangelism. I'm, I want you to be evangelists. I want you to speak the gospel to other people. Make sure your character is in order. Because we don't want to tarnish the name of Christ. In our suffering, we do not want to tarnish the name of Christ. It's important. It's important that we maintain our character in that. So in general, we should be exultant when, when we get uh, harmed, mocked, scoffed, shamed, persecuted, pursued, watched, fastings, and all those things. We should be happy about those things, but in general, we're sad. And the other thing is, we think a lot of suffering is just, I got sick, I had cancer, my wife has cancer, my, my, my spouse left me, my spouse passed away, and we're like, oh, this is a terrible suffering. I'm not saying it's not a part of suffering, I'm not, but it, it, part of it's just the part of being on a fallen earth. And believers and non-believers alike fall into those kind of sufferings. And how you deal with those things most certainly can be a testimony of how Christ is working in your life, for sure. But the kind of sufferings that we're talking about in the Bible are not necessarily the kind of sufferings that we generally identify as suffering. Okay? So we want to make sure we're in the right, that we're measuring with the right ruler. Okay? And it sounds crazy that we should be treated in a, a dishonorable way as believers and that we should really almost uh, desire that. But... You know, if it was good for the goose, that'd be in Christ. It's good for the gander. That's his people. If it's good for him and his testimony that he had to suffer that way, if it's good for the testimony of Paul, Peter, you know, Timothy, James, it's, it's good for us. Stephen, it's good for us. Verse 6, now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. If we're afflicted, it is effective for enduring the same sufferings we suffered. Once a, a lady has a child the old-fashioned way, not a cheater C-section, but the old-fashioned way, you can't hardly scare that girl. She's, she's kind of bulletproof after that. Um, the pain is terrible. The suffering is terrible. The sorrow is great. And then joy comes in the morning when the baby arrives, right? And after that, she's what the, like, oh, uh, what was her name? The mama bear or whatever. She becomes the mama bear. You can't hurt me. I have passed a child. I am tough. <laughs> you can't scare me. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid anymore. The afflictions brings consolation and salvation, effective for enduring. We go to boot camp. And we suffer. We suffer loneliness and homesickness and then all the exercises and all the screaming and torment and the lack of sleep and all those things. But after that, you're not afraid like when you first, first day of boot camp. It takes the fear away. Enduring the affliction removes the fear. You know you can do it. You know you can make it through the, the afflictions. And it says because... Uh, let's see, which we suffered. If we're comforted, it's for your consolation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. If you can endure in the suffering, you get the consolation. 
it's not like the consolation prize for last place. It's the encouragement. It's the comfort knowing that Christ, who has been afflicted before and survived, raised from the dead, sits today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He can do it. Paul did it. Peter did it. The martyrs did it. Uh, the prophets did it. And you can do it. It can be done. Other people have done it. And you can do it. And at the end, like we looked at earlier in that Psalm 69, um, if you're looking for comfort from men, good luck. Because even Christians, I w if you read um, Martyred for Christ, um, Tortured for Christ, sorry, Tortured for Christ, a Richard Warnbrand book, if you read that, where were the Christians? They let him come pick him up, and they beat him, and they froze him down, and then they'd, when he'd get hypothermia so bad that he'd pass out, like finally death, then they'd warm him up and bring him back to life, and then they'd freeze him down again. And they'd put him in the box with all the nails, and they'd leave him there for 48 hours. And if he drooped at all, he'd be pricked by the nails. And they'd leave him in there for days. And then they'd freeze him down, and they'd warm him up. Where's all the Christians knocking the doors down and asking for them to release him? His comfort had to come from something outside of man. You cannot con commit your spirit to men. They'll abuse you. Look at Christ. That's what he said. I cannot commit my spirit to men. But to you and you alone, I commit my spirit. He commits his spirit to the Father. Commit your spirit to the Father. He'll be with you. Christ will be with you as a comforter, as a consolation in the sufferings. But you're going to have to partake in the sufferings in order to partake in the consolation. We don't like that too much. Paul was asking that he could suffer more so that his, so that his uh, fellowship with Messiah would be that much greater. And I've told you before about relationship versus fellowship. We can be related. I mean, we're related through Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. But my relations are my wife, my children, right? They're related. So when we have a relationship with Christ, that means we're joint heirs. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're related. That can't change. That won't change. But with my son, with my daughter, the fellowship can change. If they're being rascally, if they're, if they're going the wrong road, if they're getting into something bad, and I have to put them at a distance, the fellowship is distant. When they're in fellowship with me, they're walking, the, they're walking a straight path. They're trying to be a family member. They're trying to encourage their mother, myself. They're trying to do right, work hard, and so on. Then we can have a better fellowship. Same thing with God. You can have the fellowship that you desire, and it's, a lot of it's dependent on you. 99% of it is. He's there. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's like waiting for you to come and to be with him. And you're over here doing your own thing, and you're like, why don't I feel close? Well, your fellowship's all messed up. Confess. Repent. Get back in fellowship. Get back with him. Go the direction he's going. If he's going this direction and you're going that direction, you're not going to have a lot of fellowship. You're still his child. I don't believe that you've lost your relationship. He doesn't disown you, but your fellowship can be in a mess. Paul desired fellowship. He had relationship, and he recognized that he had to suffer some in order to gain fellowship, additional fellowship, and, and same for us. So as we suffer, we have the benefit of spiritual growth and an increased desire to be closer to Christ in suffering. It's in suffering, it's in, well, they say no, uh, no atheists in the, in the fighting hole or whatever, in a foxhole. It's in those moments where your life is in peril you're, is when you think about, I could die. 
when everything's going your way and you're at Disneyland riding the rides and having fun and you're six years old and eating popcorn, you're not worried about dying. But when the train comes off the track at It's a Small World and you're launched out into space, all of a sudden your, your, your paradigm shifts and you're like, Jesus, save me, right? That's how it is in life. As everything's going our way, we don't put a lot of consideration into who God is, his creation, his, his mastery of creation, the, the, the Savior himself and those things. We don't even think about it. It's when things go negative that we begin to question that. Go to Philippians 3, please. Philippians 3. It's in the New Testament, Mark. Philippians 3. Verse 10. Well, let's, let's start at verse 8. Let's start at verse 7. That's even better. Well, we've got to start in the right spot so we can get the right idea. Concerning, sorry, but what things were gained to me, we're in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as garbage, as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, see the word, of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me, that I may be found in him, verse 9. Not my own righteousness, but through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul is willing to go in the same level of sufferings all the way through to the point of death to be in better fellowship with Christ. Can I endure the same lashings? Can I endure the same mockings, beatings, and so on? I can gain a deeper understanding. I can gain a deeper fellowship with Christ. I want to lay hold of that which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. That's what he's saying. That I may know him. Suffering will help us to know him. We want to avoid suffering because we don't like anguish or pain or, or sorrow or whatever. But in order to know him... We can know of him, but to know him, apparently, as believers, we're going to have to go through some measure of suffering. In this life, you will have trials. You will have. That's what it says. You don't get out of it. What do you say? Nobody gets out of this life alive. You don't. You, you're going to have negative things happen. You're going to have temptations and sufferings. Look at this list. I found a pretty good list there. Here's the suffering of the saints. Persecution for righteousness saints, uh, sorry, for righteousness sake there in Matthew 5. Uh, reviling and slander, false accusations, scourgings for Christ's sake in Matthew 10, rejection by men, Matthew 10, hatred by the world, Matthew 10, hatred by relatives, rejected by brothers, martyrdom, 
temptations, shame for his name, imprisonments, tribulations, stonings, beatings, being made a spectacle before men. That's in 1 Corinthians 4. Misunderstandings, defamation, despising, treated as filth. That's in 1 Corinthians 4. Trouble, afflictions, distresses, tumults, labors, watchings. The watchings is like looking over your shoulder, always on the run. That gets old. I'm sure David was sick and tired of having to keep sleep with one eye open all the time. Fastings, evil reports, that's 2 Corinthians 6. Reproaches, trials, satanic opposition, where it says there in Ephesians, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. Groaning and travailing because of the curse, wanting the curse to be lifted there in Romans. These sufferings are all brought about because of faith in Christ and in the world's reaction to your following Christ. These are ones that people have already endured, by the way. These aren't made up ones. These are ones that these poor martyred people of the past have endured in one measure or another. When I go to Africa, you know, and I, and I meet with Shibui, and I see the things, you know, we built a church for them. We first started, I don't, I know he's here that helped do it. Well, Jimmy did. And we sent a bunch of money for them to build a block building. And they sent us a picture before we did that. And they were standing out reading the Bible. And it, they were standing under a mango tree. And it is pouring. And the water is like above Chibui's ankle. And he's trying to protect his Bible, you know, and trying to keep the water. I mean, he's like, if we could just have a roof, we'd be really happy. So we sent the money. And they and it wasn't very much, a couple thousand, five thousand dollars something. And they built the building. And then the the Muslims came and tore the building down. That that doesn't happen here. They built a building. They were so happy, finally a building. We get to meet inside. And then the Muslims came and just disassembled the building, took the bricks. And then they're like, Hey, can we build a building? <laughs> how much this time? You know, how many buildings are we gonna build and basically give to the Muslims there, you know? And they got a nice building now, metal roof. It's not nice by our standard. It's nice by theirs. It's a big room, dirt floor, metal roof. Um, but we don't think of those kind of sufferings. Like I said, our sufferings, the sufferings we have, my daughter went and to stay in Florida, and she's like, Dad, the air conditioner's not working here. Well, I'm, we're suffering. No, you're not. <laughs> you know, you got a roof, you know. You got a screen door and you got a fan. At least you got a fan. You know, you go to Peru, they don't have a fan. You'll be dying for a fan. Our sufferings are not about the physical things that afflict us just by being a human alive on earth. That's not what it's talking about. The sufferings that we attribute as sufferings to ourselves are not necessarily these man-made things or issues that we have relationally and, and so on. These sufferings are brought on by a person's faith and following Messiah and then the world's reaction to that. And so the more active a believer you are the more of these sufferings you can take part in now if you choose like many would do to avoid suffering you can be i don't recommend this but but you can be a secret disciple like nicodemus or joseph of arimathea they called them secret disciples they believed but they didn't want anybody to know they believed because they didn't want to suffer they didn't want to be mocked they didn't want to lose their job they didn't want to lose income they didn't want to lose family members or have people make fun of them and so what do they do? They wait till Christ is dead on the cross, and then they go and approach him since they were high up in the, 
in the Pharisees of Sanhedrin. He, they could go over there and say, hey, uh, you know, it's, we, we don't like to leave bodies on the cross overnight, and can we take them down? So their motivation was right in that they wanted to preserve Christ's body and kind of care for it, but it's in a subtle way that they kind of do it like, well, you know, we as Jews, we don't like to leave the body up overnight, and we need to get it down on the Sabbath and Passover. And by the time Passover's over, it'll be stinky or whatever. And so they, and it calls them secret disciples. He doesn't call us to be secret disciples. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. I mean, go and do something. And so you could avoid these, these sufferings, I suppose, if you never speak the gospel to another, if you're careful never to exhort another person, if you're careful never to speak the truth in public about the things that are going on that are wrong and, and sinful and wicked, um, if you choose not to ever do those things, but just go home and then watch the TV and get all mad and throw stuff at the TV because how things are going, you know, the only suffering that's going to come to you is when it comes to us all as our economy fails and corruption just runs rampant. So these corruptions or these sufferings that come from the fallness of the earth, say death or sickness or, or perils or arguments, can they bring about spiritual growth? If it's not suffering like this list here, you know, persecutions and revilings and hatred and martyrdom and so on, well, they can. In fact, it may be possible that some of these sufferings, physical abound in you because you're so inactive as an evangelist, as a teacher, as a servant, using your spiritual gifts, whatever they are. It could be very well that why that's increased in order to draw you to Christ, in order to um, bring you into godliness. He's, if we're his children and he's trying to develop us as good children of his, he wants us to become like him, to be like him, to be more Christ-like, and you're like, well, I'll just be a secret disciple over here. <laughs> I'll be a secret disciple over here, and, and, and nobody will know. And at the last second, right before I die, and then I'll, I'll shout out, you know, I, I'm a believer. You know, whatever, you know, whatever your thing is, if the plane is plummeting, I'll never say a word unless the plane is plummeting towards the earth. And then I'll jump up real fast and proclaim the gospel and hope that the plane doesn't recover and we land because it'd be so embarrassing. You know, I mean, well, I don't know what our mindset is, but it's wrong. So a believer, um, not active, not consolidating himself with the sufferings of Christ, maybe you could expect some sufferings in health or, or things like that in order to drive you to the shepherd. I'm not, I'm not going to say that's doctrine. I'm just saying it's something to consider. Um, what is God's desire for his people? What's his God's desire for you? godliness he wants you to be christ-like he wants us to have the mind of christ how can we have the mind of christ if we have no part with him the reason i accepted christ was so i wouldn't go to the fiery pit i want to get my my fire insurance you know policy all paid up and that's it and then at the very end maybe you know maybe i'll do something good for help a little old lady across the street or something maybe that'll count and he, it's not what he called us to do so we need to experience some aspect of the suffering of Christ. The only way that's going to happen is if we're going to be vocal about the gospel, vocal about the truth, live a life set apart, and then I dare say you may encounter some sort of suffering. Um, so what should we do? What would you say? Yeah, you, should, you can count on it. Yeah, when you start proclaiming his name, you'll get the mockerings and scofferings. So if we've never been rejected, hated, shamed for the gospel, 
be made a mockery or a spectacle of among men for the sake of the gospel. How can we really relate to those that have? I mean, we can look at them. You can read uh, The Heavenly Man and look at Brother Young and see what he went through. And then you'll say to yourself, man, I wonder if I would have that kind of loyalty or that kind of, of um, maturity or that kind of grace or that kind of spirituality. Well, you'll never know unless you're willing to go put yourself out there, unless you're willing to go and preach the gospel, unless you're willing to go visit the poor and, and the sick, unless you're willing to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress or the afflicted and oppressed. If you're not willing to go do those things, you'll never know. I've heard so many guys, every guy that was ever in the Navy told me that he graduated SEAL school. Well, there's only like six or 8,000 SEALs total. But somehow every guy, you know, 200,000 guys in the Navy, they all went to SEAL school. It's not true. They never knew. They never went. But in their mind, they thought, well, I could go and I can do it. Well, if you can do it, then go do it. So what should we do in view of suffering? Let's go back to 1 Peter, and we'll finish up there. What should we do knowing that there is suffering to come? I put on the... On the uh, devotional i was just thinking about or you know um so world war ii and world war one too the marine corps uh marine corps makes some bad calls sometimes but they just know that guys get by on general toughness and kind of esprit de corps thing and so they they didn't necessarily train them for combat well especially world war one but even into world war ii and going into korea they went back to this program they needed bodies so they would just get all these young guys, and rather than send them to boot camp, they'd put them on ship, and on the way to the combat zone in Korea, I know in particular, but in World War II, on the way to the combat, they'd train them on ship because they needed bodies so bad. You know, they were dying like flies over there in the, in the island campaigns. And so, well, they'd get there, and they had this real high casualty rate because they had no training. You're not going to train hiding in the jungle on a big open ship deck. You know, you're not going to learn to sh shoot around corners and take cover behind trees or dig fighting holes on the deck of a ship. And so then they went, they went ahead and delayed them sending and went to an eight-week training program regimen before they sent them and eventually went to 13 weeks, which it is now. And then they saw their casualties go down because they had the opportunity to train before they went. We have the opportunity now to read about suffering, understand this potential of coming, this we can be, you don't even have to be a prophet. Watch the TV for five minutes and you'll be like, oh man, persecution's coming. They're, I mean, they tried to go after, whether you're a John MacArthur fan or not, they tried to shut him down, they're going to put him in jail, they're going to fine him millions of dollars for having church services during COVID. Okay, persecution's coming. He rightly stood on his rights and said, hey, I have the right to be here. They got the right to be here. They're grown, grown ups. They can be here. We have the right to uh, freedom to assemble. We have freedom of religion. And he spoke and, and beat them down. And the, uh, miraculously, the, the court went along with them. But I'm telling you, what used to be done in private is done openly. Like I told you about the parade. We're here, we're gay, and we're coming for your children. When they say that openly, know, and nobody shoots them from the side of the road, know that it's coming, and they're going to shut you down. As believers, there's going to be persecution. If you want to live as a believer, there will be persecution. It's not come up till now. It's coming. So prepare now. How do we prepare in view of suffering to come? Look at 1 Peter 3. 
Start at verse 14. It says, 1 Peter 3, 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it be the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. So here it is. Number one, what do we do in view of suffering? You're supposed to be happy about it. That's what it says. <laughs> if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Yeah. Thanks, Lord. Hit me again. In Matthew 5.10, it says, uh, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of wicked things about you for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Oh, I'm glad that those, you know, I mean, I guess there's some recognition of the fact that they at least saw you as a believer. The, the little, I'm telling you, the secret disciples, it's, it's, a, it's a joke. Uh, those, these people that have a, a life-changing um, interaction with Christ at some point, and they're all into the, you know, whatever, the light, smoke, and music, and there's no, and there's no meat in their diet from the Word of God. There's no real doctrine to hold them. They're going to fall away. You've got to know that a beating is coming. And when it does, you're supposed to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. There's regular glad, and then there's exceedingly glad. That's like, we're going to Dollywood happy. It's not, we're going to mow the grass glad. It's going to Dollywood glad. It's very glad. Number two, it says, do not fear men. Again, once you've experienced trauma, you know, the guys that have experienced heavy combat, you think they're worried about somebody coming and robbing their store? That's the worst thing you could do. to. I just know a guy here in Crossville, and, and some guys came and tried to rob his store one time. He was a World War II veteran, and he ran them down. And he didn't weigh 125 pounds. And he, it's uh, Rod Burney's, if you know Rod Burney, it's his dad. And he ran him down, two boys, and uh, beat the hound out of him. He didn't weigh 125 pounds. He was a tiny little fella. But he had been in um, the Battle of the Bulge. He wasn't afraid about getting his store robbed. They should have been afraid for coming and dealing with that guy. He held the other, he beat the one guy up and held the other guy for the cops. And the cops were like, all right, <laughs> you know, you don't have to fear men. We have the authority of Christ on our side. We have the authority of the power of the throne of grace. And, and if he takes our life, he takes it. But we don't have to fear men. Fear the one that can take the soul and the body. We don't have to fear men. Do not be troubled by trouble, it says. Do not be afraid of men's threats, nor be troubled. Negative things happen. Deal with the things that happen. I, I, I will say that was one thing that I really, I'm not, you know, not everything I learned in the military was the greatest. But one thing they taught me to do was endure. And maybe you need to learn to endure a little bit. When hard times come, sometimes you got to, you know, tighten your belt and put on your tall boots and get after it, you know. You just have to do it sometimes. Take it as unto God, number four, and hold him sacred in your hearts. But sanctify, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense 
So take it like this suffering that comes, receive it, and give it back to the Lord. Thank you. Uh, I assume that this negative thing, I assume the reason I'm getting kicked out of the store, um, Brother Mark got kicked out of Walmart because he insisted on witnessing to the poor and downtrodden there, and they got tired of him. You know, it wasn't the poor and downtrodden who got tired of him. It was the, it was the well-dressed and the fancy people. And they just didn't want to hear his voice. And they got him kicked out of Walmart. He's not allowed to evangelize there anymore. And so uh, they just, and he was like, man, thank God, I'm going to Target. You know, he just left one going somewhere else, you know. Uh, he, he wasn't beat down by it. By it's happening. Peter is put in prison. When he escapes and he gets back in the, bun, in the house with the people and he gets his way back in after Rhoda keeps him out and he gets in there, they get down and they start praying, Lord, give me more boldness so we can go out there and get beat some more. It's crazy. It's, it doesn't seem, it's not natural, it's supernatural. To endure suffering is supernatural for the Lord. Then it says, number five, be ready to give an account of your life, your conduct, and your hope. Sanctify the Lord God, verse 15 again, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You do it with humility. They've already got you. You're, you're caught. You're in the parking lot. They got the cuffs on you. Talk to the cops. They had to keep changing out the Roman guards because Paul kept converting them. So when it, just bring on some more guards. See every opportunity as an opportunity to witness to others. Next one is uh, maintain a good conscience by your good conduct. And I think I already kind of mentioned this earlier. You better make sure that your character is in shape. Whenever negative things happen to us and we sit there and whine and cry about how terrible our life is, not a very good witness for the gospel. Is Christ sufficient for you and your suffering? Well, apparently not because you're a big crybaby when negative things happen to you. But if I'm giving him all the glory, yeah, man, it could be worse. Another thing I learned in the service, it can always be worse. No matter how bad it is, it can always be worse. But if he's doing this work in your life, are you giving him the glory for that and attesting to others how good he is in all the other things besides this area of suffering? And then last, it was, uh, it is better to suffer for doing good. Verse 17, for it is better. Oh, sorry. Verse 16 was having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. When you do right, when others are doing you wrong and you do right, you save the evil speaking and you're praying for them, going the extra mile and so on, you make them look bad. God is aware. Whether men are aware or not, God is aware. And in last, it's better if it be the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It, it, it actually says that in, on the next, in, in chapter 4 there, that if you suffer for lying, for murders, it's not real suffering. You brought that on yourself. You're just getting your just desserts. It's when we suffer for Christ, that's when it counts. Just pull that top speaker off, would you? The very top piece. Pick it straight up. So Messiah is the one that did the real suffering. When we gain, we gain fellowship with him, by suffering like him, whether we like it or not. And we're to count it all joy when we suffer with him. But I do want to take the opportunity this morning. I know people are in different means of suffering, and I'm not necessarily 
pointing the finger at you and saying, well, you have health problems, therefore you're suffering. You're suffering because you haven't done these. I'm not saying that. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that. I do know that in health problems, especially uh, many times, God will put somebody that's running away from him. I say that he puts him on the bench. He'll sit you down. You'll get a knee injury, a back injury, or something, because he's trying to get you to hear his voice. He's trying to get you to return. And I've seen that more than once. When we take the time, if you're wise, and you have some sort of injury that's put you on the bench, take the time to read the rule book. Take the time to read the scriptures. Take the time to get back in prayer. Take the time to rebuild fellowship and to get back on the same direction that the Lord is on. As we see these sufferings and we see these persecutions coming in our culture, I pray that you'll kind of read back over what we said. If you want to copy the notes with all, I got a lot of scriptures on those uh, different uh, sufferings and what they consist of. Um, and I'd be glad to print the notes out for you if you want those so you can work on those. But know that even some of the sufferings are like temptations and embarrassments and being, uh, and being feeling shamed by presenting the gospel and someone not accepting it. That's considered a suffering. I mean, you go and you, and you put the effort out, you kind of step outside your, what they say, comfort zone, and I present the gospel, and the guy blows me off and kind of ignores me or, or kind of laughs me off. That's a suffering, and it, because it harms you emotionally. But it doesn't mean you stop. That's just part of it. That's just par part of sharing in that. Troubles, afflictions, distresses, tumults, labors, fastings, evil reports, all those things. Those are things that could very well happen to you in your daily life, and I just want to Take time, give you the opportunity to pray this evening, or this morning, sorry, and um, and let's cover that with prayer first, and then um, Emily and, and uh, James will come, and, and uh, we'll sing this last song. Let's pray together first as they come. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we present this message to you, and, and for your honor, and for your in your sovereignty, the way you use things, I pray that it wouldn't die with us, that we would speak to others about what we heard, and that it would be, uh, it would go out, that people would hear it. Lord, I pray that we would have the boldness to speak against the lies of the world. I pray that we would have the boldness to speak up against those evil things and the wickedness of men and the wickedness of the world in this day. Lord, I pray that we'd have the boldness to speak to other believers. Um, Asking them, are you a secret disciple? Or are you the real deal, Lord? I pray that we ourselves would be bold in our witness, that we would be real disciples of Christ, willing to be bold in our witness, bold in speaking, bold in example to others, Lord. That we would be careful with our words and careful with our driving and careful with the different things that we do, that we wouldn't confound another person or confuse them as to the goodness of God in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your care for us. I pray for these that are in suffering today. As they're in ministry, as they're in sorrow, as they're in for the loss of a loved one or a child, uh, for the loss of a of a of a husband or a wife, Lord, for the loss of health, Lord, in those sufferings, I pray that you prove yourself to be sufficient. I pray that they would grab onto you and cling to you more than they ever have, and receive comfort and peace from you in return. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise this morning for your goodness to us, Lord, in Jesus' name.